שמי שמיה, שמי יו, שמי אי. שמי שמי, שמי יא, שמי, שמי שמי שמי. רסטנט פיס אודי בי. רסטנט פיס פייט ברוג, יא. בלס אפ. And welcome to another edition of The Heights Room. I realize that we have a soldier already in our midst here. Torian, are you live on direct? I think I've seen your mouth moving, but I'm not hearing your lips move, but I can't hear what you say. Just a little delay, like them okay. Chinese show. All right, 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 right. <laughs> the 36 chamber, that's the big one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, he ain't know he. Oh, okay. We we'll bring him back in a while. Bring him back later. Right. Right. Bring him back in a while. Yeah, know the answer to some maths question. Who is he? Listen. How much coke pain you, boy? How much coke pain you? You just don't study. Don't study what coke. Study what in the coke. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You understand? Play just crash with the coke. Green tea. You understand what I'm saying? But you won't specify the greens. You understand oh, what I'm saying? Yeah, That's right. You understand? Yeah. So we, we, so we, we, we always in heights. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. You understand? Are you telling yourself, Cutter? Yeah. When, Lal, when you say I slow on the uptake, you mean my brain or you mean my feed? Which one? I, Synapses are not firing. Both. Both. <laughs> All right. So welcome to another episode. As I said earlier, um, it is... Evening time, it's not night, so good evening, good evening, good evening, good all. Evening, good evening. evening. Early morning episode. for me. Nine well, o'clock all the army rolling in the thing here. You know yeah, I know always said good morning, good evening, good night. Right? Correct. Let's let me do the thing right. So that's right. We have our oh. guests coming on a little bit, but before we get into the guests, let's look at our hot topics for this week in the hot check this topic. segment. The check this segment. Right. So the first one. Custody. 
but yeah, the WHO, mm-hmm. no, the, no, the WHO, oh, the emergency approval for um, uh, emergency approval. So all that is being used, and you know, we are definitely going to have to tack back onto this whole issue of the vaccines yeah. and do a whole episode on it. So that'll be a juicy yeah. one. But that, that, but that's still kind of funny, though, boy, Cutter, because you see, you can't just jump in and tell people, well, hey. The responsibility is yours because if you think, uh, I mean, what is governing that, what law governing that in Trinidad is the OSH Act, you understand? And the responsibility of compliance with the OSH Act is employers, eh? you understand what I'm saying? So if it is your, 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 your workplace not safe, you understand, which is what this fall under, that is an employer responsibility. So if it is you say, well, PCR, men, men have to pay for PCR tests, we understand that. And, but I mean, it, it, it sounds reasonable now, you know what I mean? If it is you want to make a determination, you don't want to get vaccinated, well, hey, pay for your PCR test and that kind of thing. But at the same time, the OSH thing saying, well, basically, you as the employer have to ensure a safe working environment without, but you see, the, 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 the untold part of that is that you have to ensure a safe working environment without infringing on our man rights. Right. Right. You understand so, what I'm saying? Yeah, it's so, very, very, very tricky. You know, yeah. and these are unprecedented times. So we will see what comes out of it because it's it's all very valid points and concerns when it comes to this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because you know, um, Duke was saying the mantra is vaccinate to operate, and it's almost like a <laughs> biblical thing they push it on. You know, Duke. You know the Duke. You know the Duke. So I would say at this point in time. Seeing that you know we're nearing that 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 fifteen minute marker into the show, um, Mister Lassie, seeing that we on the topic of maths today and the mathematics of it, yeah. right? And yeah. the mathematical model in which our good friend is coming on soon to talk about. There's yeah. a certain math problem, which we're equation. Call it, yeah. equation, right? Yeah. That is making its round around the internet. It reminds me mm. of you know the is it the dress black or is it dress blue? Now whereas right, that, right, right. whereas <laughs> that is. A matter of perception, right? Uh, we we know maths is like one and one equal two. It has no two ways about that. Well, right? it depends on how you define one and how you define two, but go ahead. Yeah. So, <laughs> if, so there is a, a very by all means simple looking problem that is making its wrongs, but uh, a lot of people are quarreling over it. Let's see it. Let's see the this problem. thing. Look the problem. So eight, eight divided uh, by Two open brackets, two plus two close brackets equal. Let me hear in the in the, ch- in the chat. Wait, that's quick a maths man up in the chat. Quick maths, maths, quick maths, quick maths. Yeah. So, I know I as a man is not the maths man. Never was, mm. never will be. Right? I see language man, the theater man, not the maths right. man. Right? Right. But um, from what I would have had drilled in my head, there was the board mass. Yeah. Or maybe the board right? So. <laughs> I would say, first of all, you know, well, inside the uh, bracket is, is four, right? Right. And two by two is four, is, is two. Um, so eight divided by two. Write it down, write it down, write it down. That's all I can calculate. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. I think so. In a mess. Maybe, maybe we should really bring in the math, man. I, I go say is, um, is, is 16? How, how, how you get 16? <laughs> eight, eight divided by two. Well, okay, two plus two. Is... You do two into eight four, and then four by four. From yeah, the two, two plus two is 16. four. Two now plus two is four. All right. So any bracket is four. That's not matching. Yes, Fiola. Let him know. Mm. 
You're good. Actually, I would but, say is eight. Okay, I would say two plus two is four. <clears throat> two, 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 and then I'll do, I'll do the two by the four and get eight, and eight by the one, right. I get one, 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 one. Okay, one. right. So you get one because everybody teach you about mass and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, understand? Well, boy, one. the wood on the ground, the wood on the ground, fellas, is that the answer is sixteen, eh? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's the wood on the ground. Yeah, that's what. So what would be the what would what would be the what would be the um what would be the, the reasoning for that? Well, what was your reasoning for coming up with that? Your reasoning was well, the board mass. Uh, well, because I said the maths, man, I, I, I've seen two things happening one time in my brain now. But, um, <laughs> but I, I would have, I would have said that first of all, you add what in the bracket, right? Right. And you will get the um. I'll bring it back up. The four. I was in a bracket. Yeah. yeah. You get the four. four. Then I, I would have multiplied. Then I would have multiplied. Then I, well, I would have looked to multiply the bracket one time. I don't know why. That roll. That's done. Right. 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 It's a um, two by four, eight, and then eight right. divided by eight, one. That's right. What I would have looked to do. Right. Well, yeah. the thing is that the, 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 to be honest, fellas, the answer doesn't seem to be simple. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So everybody jumping on it would jump on it and say either Bodmas, Bomdas, and then there's a there's a new one, Bemdas, and then there's Pedmas. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the reality is that um the actual answer seems to be 16. Yeah, that's what I'm and it oh, has oh, to do it's either one or 16, I can say that's why I say 16 first, because in, in the moment right. I see 16. But how it right. could be, you know, right. So one alone. The, the, it could be either one. So, Right. Well, no, it can't be one. It can't be one. So what it is, we thought, you understand what I'm saying? You see, we's part of a colonial empire now, boy. You understand? Jesus so we just Christ. do so we just do what we told. You understand what I'm saying? But the problem is what we told. And what we told is bodnas or bombdas and all this thing and whatnot. But the reality is what people don't know is the bombdas and bombdas and whatever is acronyms. They are not the actual rules that govern. Yeah, the son. You actually have four rules, and those from those four rules, they develop these acronyms. But those acronyms are not universally applicable. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So bring back up, bring back up the question, there, Torian. Bring back up the question, there. No problem. So you have um, <laughs> the first rule is brackets first. That's the first rule. Well, and when you and when you have multiple brackets. You basically go from the inner brackets to the outer brackets. That is the first rule, right? So you get your four inside of there, right? So you're starting there, right? Your next thing is... This is the trick now. This is the trick now. Right. The trick now is the next part is powers, roots, and fractions. You understand what I'm saying? That is your second rule. You had to deal with the second rule there first. You understand? So the second rule now... You deal with your, your, your numerators and, and whatnot and thing. And then, um, so if you have indices, if you have exponents, you have to deal with that first. So then do you have do that AD. in this? Yeah, well, you do A divided by 2. Oh, because that is the one thing outside the, the bracket. Correct. Well, well, it's, it's, it's powers, roots, and fractions. is a fraction. Yeah, that's what okay, I'm saying. Okay. A divided by 2 is 4. You see where so we're you going? Get, so you have to get it 4 by 4 then. Right. And then after that, now you have your multiplication and division. Multiplication and division are inverse operations and must be treated equally. 
So you see people listing Bodmas or Bomnas, and one man say Bomnas, and one man say Bodmas, and one man feel he should get a trophy. Both of them, you really, it is not correct. You understand what I'm saying? What it is is that they must, because they are inverse operations, they must be treated equally, and you must work from left to right. You understand what I'm saying? That is the rule. That's the third rule. You understand oh. what I'm saying? So then now, you would have four multiplied by four, and you're working left to right. right. You understand right. what I'm saying? And then the last one is addition and subtraction, and you're going from left to right as well. You understand what I'm saying? Right. And that's how you get the 16 fellas. You understand oh, what I'm saying? Boy. No. You what understand? That's what the question. I'm going to check it in a while. Let me, you let me, do let it me. on Google? Well, I'm going to try because I'll start copy and paste it or something. So, at this point in time, to clear up the air on this clear 16, right? Because... Um, 8 divided what, so, by 2 into... So, two 1 or 16 plus. depends on how you look at it. Numbers not real anyway, Bisham saying. <laughs> Google, Google, Google gave you 16. Google gave you 16. Numbers not Google, real anyway, right, so, so I, So, I would like to bring on now a man who would like... Not very much, not like to hear that numbers ain't real because then he ain't real, right? <laughs> and this yeah, is not uh, the imagination. No, 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 our brethren up there in mm -hmm. the UK. The reason why we have to do it earlier because we have to get this guy on the show, you know. And this is Chris Farag. Chris, how are you doing there, buddy? Yeah, yeah, good man, good man. Just listening to all, yeah. Hi, you're listening to the mathematical minds here. No, yeah. no, Chris, Chris is a research fellow at the Imperial College in England, and this is where he attempts to model epidemics such as COVID-19, Ebola, SARS, and so on, right? So he's a mathematician, a mathematical model, and if you want to know what importance that is when you see Dr. Avery Hines and these kind of people on TV, the epidemiologists, and they are talking, it is the data and the, the work of mathematicians such as Chris that feed their their um theories their concepts and so on so chris how you doing brother let's um kick things off with a little insight on what you thought about the problem just to kick things off on a little light mode before we get mm. to the real yeah, heights yeah. of what we see in well in real life for me i think the problem is nonsense i mean <laughs> 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 I think no no I hear what Lassie's saying and I think he's probably right but what I think is that um it's more a question of communication because if you Correct. can read a statement yes. like that and come with two answers uh yeah. then something then we have that a means problem the was badly done. it incomplete right. incomplete yeah because, you know, that makes sense actually just to, just to finish off you know like as actually as, as Shambi Bisham write it down there if you if you replace that division sign with the you know the fractional, uh, correct across the board, yeah. it'll be different. Yeah, then it'll look like eight divided by everything that follows, and you'll have yes. to do the same at the bottom, and then the thing at the top, and you'll get one. So, yes, I don't even know who does use division sign to be honest. Like I think that has disappeared after primary school, but. Right. <laughs> so men, men doing it for the laws then, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. So they get plenty. It's fun. I just, I just. It's the vagary of it all, you know. I mean, that is what that's what they're really trying to. Well, well you know, it is tonight. right. Like if if somebody code that up and and they code it, you know, mm -hmm. I tell you that, and you code it up somewhere, and I code it up another way, and we both get different answers. That's kind of the thing that at some point. The communication. I mean, yeah. 
the US and Europe was collaborating on some space shuttle and uh-huh. one of them decided to use metric and one of them decided uh-huh. to use uh-huh. and they didn't right. talk to each other and it caused the thing to crash. So I mean it's, right. it's more right. communication than right and they see and there you have it folks. Yeah. Just go. Yeah. With, you just can't go take it in isolation. That is just numbers. Just you know go I mean? with it's the English like, system yeah. and done the talk. Like, <laughs> 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 All right. So um, let's see. Probably you could start us off with, 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 the, with the deliberations of, of today's episode. Yeah, well, Jed, the thing about it is that, um, Crystal, boy, we appreciate you coming on. We know the time, the time not easy. And, um, you know, this is not an easy topic to unpack. Um, many people I talk to, to kind of see where you see and that kind of thing. Men go talk, but many really know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, you know, when you're reading on Google, it could only carry you so far. But it's really, you know, for people to really understand the heights of it is to understand, well, the spread of something has mathematical roots. You understand what I'm saying? And... Right. I mean, in unpacking the discussion, you know, um, is really to understand the nature of epidemics that people talking about, you know, the COVID and how it's spreading and this kind of thing, vaccinations, how it's affecting that and whatnot and thing. Not understanding that behind the scenes, there's all of this data that is being developed that is a reliable scientific tool to help in the fight against COVID. But that tool has to be, you know, measured with, you know, the, the proper science. And in this case, we're going to delve into the proper maths to really unpack, to unpack accurately what is exactly happening. So, I mean, the first thing that I think people want to understand by is really the history behind modeling of an epidemic by. I mean, you know, I mean, when, when you just do a basic reasoning, they say it starts around the Spanish flu time, some people say it starts around the bubonic plague time, um, and it has to do with all predicting the course of a disease. Is that is is that correct? What was what, the history behind behind modeling an epidemic? So um, yeah, be, probably before that, it might be good to say what a model is, which is that correct. Uh, <laughs> it's effectively, <Yeah. laughs> uh, you know, some sort of it don't have to be, but it's potentially a sort of computational tool. And you put into that tool what you believe are certain assumptions behind spread, certain bits of data that you collected. And then you try to run that tool, you know, across time, potentially predict what might happen into the future or try and better understand what has been happening up until now. So usually when you use models, that's kind of what you want to do. You want to either have a little forecast, something similar to a weather forecast, but not quite like that, or have Mm -hmm. a view of of can I better understand what happened up until now, right? And, right. and that's, that's a, sorry? And for the layman, Chris, um, just not let me to cut you off, but for the layman, yeah, yeah. when you say a, to, a tool, right, in its simplest form, what do you mean by the, this a tool? tool? Right, I, right. Yeah. So, so I guess by, by a tool, I was just thinking like a piece of software, for example, okay. in the more modern mm, terms. Mm, but mm, 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 when right. it started off, which now we'll get to Leslie's point, which was actually in the around the 1920s, you could say, so about 100 mm. years ago, um, which is also roughly around the Spanish flu, a little bit after the Spanish flu time. Um, it was. It wouldn't necessarily be. A, uh, it wouldn't be software then, but it would have been. Uh, you might remember this from school. 
people people would saw, we would see it on Twitter on Facebook people shouting like you know what what is the use of uh, of things like like derivatives but like that is literally what it is it was a bunch of derivatives like differential equations um, mm-hmm. so that's I, I don't know I think how familiar people are but it's effectively just a concept of you describe in a rate of change and you want to, to 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 push that forward in time so that is your model your model is some you'll call that a dynamical process because it changes with time mm-hmm. so it's some dynamical process that you've written down probably with calculus from the days of cxc or csec or whatever right and right. you could right. and you could understand it with this stuff from cxc and csec as well so this is sort of like the original um and why why it came to prominence was was around the 1920s there was a guy uh called ronald ross uh, mm-hmm. and he worked uh, with a couple other uh physicians as well i think him uh, or something was was one of the other famous ones and um mm-hmm. what they what they did that was new and novel at that period of time was they used some of these you know this sort of calculus techniques this derivatives and so on to say well what could i learn about malaria because malaria was a big deal mm-hmm. well, yeah. a, they, they, that, that was their mm-hmm. and and what they what this guy came up with was that uh, you know, he wrote down his equation. So how he thought uh, spread might occur, which was to have two elements. Well, yeah, two elements. You could say a group of people who can be infected. So you call them susceptible. You could call them mm-hmm. vulnerable. Usually, you susceptible. And a group of people who are infected. And then you try to understand how they mix, right? And he his original uh, like models. Uh, he was using it to try and understand the relationship between populations of humans and populations of mosquitoes and his big sort of contribution there was to say well actually if you reduce the mosquito population below some threshold malaria in that region would eventually die out and that was like a big deal and he eventually won a nobel prize uh for that mm. and related to malaria but that was kind of like one. so this what they have is these guys what they're doing is they're taking their empirical observations and they're trying to to put that down into some degree of equations or mathematics and then use that to then draw insights because that is, as, as Leslie would say, is a form of reasoning or reasonings. Mm-hmm. That kind of heights. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it, yeah. It, 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 it could go wrong depending on what, because the thing is, uh, so people talk about models like it's something different, but every day you're using you're using a model implicitly, you know. If you're deciding mm. to cross a road, you have some model in your head, and when you think the car will reach close to you, so you have a oh, yeah, that's a good way to make it down. And where it's going to be next, and so on. So you're always using mm. models. Everything you learn in school, physics, chemistry, all that stuff is, is all models, you know. Like, as, what about as for a, them as who a, went behind the school? Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so as, as I say, like, um, so when, when it comes to that, it, it, it all, bo- it ends up boiling down to, to a mixture between what assumptions you want to put in and, and right. what, and what, what equations you then want to use to carry those assumptions forward to, to get to some conclusions. And you want to hope that you don't end up in a situation where conclusions are too dependent on your assumptions. Um, right. So just to, right. to kind of, just to bring that back to, to kind of reality, what, what I meant by that was that. So 
so in, in in there was another case where um they had plague in in a town in 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 Sheffield so in, right. in that in that case that a model uh, well that I'm uh, in the head that a model that well look uh rats spread in this we're going to quarantine mm. keep the village under lock you know conserve your resources that would be a conflict as to what the sort of it was a rector or like a religious person who who mandated this in the village and have a bit of uh, contradictory about what he what he thought about what was his intentions but what happened is they did quarantine they did stop the mm. spread further but they actually increased the death toll inside because they didn't realize how important human to human spread is so mm. that was a case where there wasn't mathematical modeling there but that was a case where the assumptions led to some you That's know unexpected conclusions so right of like to the history yeah. Of, of, yeah the history is just simply trying to bring your assumptions up into a framework where you could more explicitly look at how they relate to your conclusions right but i mean one one question though chris i mean if if you're looking at it from that perspective i mean a little later on in the in in in, in the discussion we're gonna bringing like environmental factors and whatnot and how that relates to, um, you know, uh, improving the accuracy of a model and that kind of thing. But I want to hone in specifically on this guy, Ross, that you mentioned, right? Now, mm. from what I understand, he was the guy who basically brought on uh, a evolutionary thinking in how you go about mathematical, mathematically modeling uh, epidemiology um, by bringing about the, co the compartmental model. And that compartmental model would have basically been a progression on uh, some work from John Grant in the earlys, which was uh, estimates of comparative risks, where, where he developed something called the theory of competing risks. Now, in this evolution, in, in, in this sort of um, evolutionary, you know, perspective on developing what people now use in the modern era as this is this is how you approach modeling um from what you were describing that change is basically on a temporal scale how then did they approach modeling on a spatial scale because for me that that is more challenging to know well if this was the center because i, I was reading a case of uh, john snow who seemed to be one of the first guys who would have studied a pattern of cholera cases in 1855. And he was the guy who located the Broad Street water pump as the source of an infection um, for cholera. And it was kind of like the beginnings of that spatial understanding of the model. Um, is it, how, how do you begin to go about modeling something like that? Right, right. So that's, that's a great question and, and highly pertinent. Um, to, to just to finish off, we mentioned about John mm. Snow there. Uh, that's a tourist right. attraction now. You can visit right. the pump. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, effectively, just to give our background, he's considered the father of epidemiology as a whole. And what he did was he tracked the cases of cholera and he like made a map and he showed that if you follow this map, you just kind of lead to a source. And the source was this this um water water well or whatever. And and he mm. believed that it was infected, you know, so something infected there, and that that yeah. started that just kicked off the whole whole thing. And as I said, there's a mm. there's a huge spatial component, but it's probably worth first just explaining what a compartmental model is. Um, right. Yes. Just also because it's the most predominant and important way to think about an epidemic. 
as in mm. it, the the basis of that still comes out from the 1920s but it's still used mm. today like explicitly okay. for covid even um mm. so the idea the idea is you you place you know like that three of you guys here so perfect to actually explain so I, it's how i see the three of you in three boxes right mm-hmm. you think of a population as being in three boxes and let me say torian is an infected person Kata is mm-hmm. somebody who could get infected, so he's susceptible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. let's see a man who recovered because, well, we don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> the greens, the greens. <laughs> and all, all those models says is like, yeah, what if if Kata and Torian bounce into each other? Kata, um, Torian might transmit yeah. to Kata, right? There'll be some probability. <laughs> yeah, like that, exactly that, right? <laughs> And then Kata might get sick. Uh, Otorian might go into Leslie's box because after he feel ill for a while, he'll recover, right? Right. right. Mm. Probably worth saying in this model, recovery also includes the idea of death. So if you die, you're also considered recovered. Recovered as you can spread it. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, you're not right, right, right. Exactly. So this, right. this simple idea is, you know, people hit into each other, they transmit, after a while, they recover, right? And that is called mm. the, the SIR model, susceptible, infected, mm. recovered. And that mm. is the basis of, of most, most models. Most models. Total. Yeah, in total. And that, um, mm. and, and to sort of, just to bring it back to things you might have learned in school, the actual, you know, the idea, say, cut a bump in into Torian is you would model that as some sort of like random process. It's actually the mm. same as how you model a chemical reaction. So mm. in a chemical mm. reaction, you might have sodium uh, having to collide with, 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 with um, a chlorine, you know, a chloride atom and sodium. So, and you have to have them to collide to then eventually produce, well, I guess a lessy in this case, but... Um, <laughs> Brownie <laughs> and ocean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 simple, that simple dynamic, which they call mass action, Right, mm. is 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 behind all of the, all all of that. So so that's the compartmental model. And as as you correctly say, there's some as I mentioned before, like when you, whenever you're doing any of these things, you have to really think about what assumptions are being put in, mm. right? And this mm-hmm. this just does this doesn't just apply to models because it applies mm-hmm. to any of these computational programs or techniques you're using. It's a big thing now mm. in artificial intelligence, for example, as I think. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So, so assumptions and biases, and in this case, the biggest assumption is I assume that Kata and Torrent could just bounce into each other, like you know, with right. with, with no constraints, right? But right. in reality, I mean, Kata living in Trinidad and Torrent living in Canada, they're not right. going to bounce into each other, right? So that model is right. So you had to start right. thinking spatially, right? So spatially, mm. you would say your first route is to take that same idea and just split it up into different countries and then have them interact mm. every once in a while. So split it up so Torian could bounce into other Canadians and get sick or, or transmit. Kata could bounce into mm. other trigger and get sick. And then every once in a while, somebody could take a flight from one place to the other and allow mm-hmm. the possibility of infections between the two regions as well. Right. And that mm. introduces a spatial structure. Now you're saying mm. something, Chris. You're saying that how the the assumptions 
uh, paramount to what is being, you know, going to be the outcome, what, what we're looking for. You know, you have to be very yeah. careful as to what, what is being assumed. Um, you know, see that you have been doing this with, you know, COVID and COVID is, you know, what we are, the reality we are living right now. Would you say that over your recent studies and, and modeling that when it comes to the assumptions being used when modeling for COVID, that because of the challenges that COVID has thrown towards the, the world and by extension, the scientific world, that they, would you be able to tell us if there were any kind of assumptions about COVID that would have had to been challenged in the yeah. pr process of its development and, you know, in the saga of dealing with COVID and yeah. trying to model, you know? Yeah, they had, they had some key, key ones. So some of them, some of them, they're not so much, you know, they're not so much necessarily that someone came with that bias. But what happened was someone started to say, estimate uh, a parameter. Uh, it probably would explain what parameter is here and particularly what. So, so in, these, in these models, as I mentioned, there might be, you know, some sort of equations running through. Uh, they mm -hmm. usually have these variables in those equations, right? And some of them you you put values to, and some of them you would you would want to find out. So one day you want to find out the same number of infected, right? So that's a variable right. you wouldn't put a value to. That's something you want to know about. But you might put a value to how many people someone infects on average, right? right. You might yeah. have this parameter, and that's the the um, the R number, which is the most okay. famous. You know, if you watch mm. Contagion and so on, it's mm. very about the reproduction number, R0, R, whatever you want to call it. And that, that idea is just simply that um, I want to know how many people someone will infect on average during the du for the duration of which they're infectious, right? Right. Mm. And it's a simple idea, but it's extremely important. And what happened is when uh, uh, COVID or SARS-CoV-2 emerged, the it was it was a lot of heat to try and get this parameter out early because it would be useful you know if if the number is large right it would it would it would change potentially how you would respond to this disease so as an example mm -hmm. okay. um uh you could have a small well there's two two numbers is that and also there's the the rate of death given infection so these are probably the two key parameters right now if the rate of death given infection is high then, you know, like Ebola, which is like 50%, then you, you're, you're like, you know, that's it. Yeah, it, well, mm -hmm. it stifles the spread because... Yeah, it stifles know. the spread, but you will die. Yeah. And, if the, right. <laughs> and if the R yeah. number is, is large, then one person choosing to, for example, say not get vaccinated and open up to potential infections could cause... A large number of infections, yeah. and this is the case with measles. So measles has a very high R number. I think right. something around mm. fourteen or something like that. Four zero. One four. One four. One four. Okay. One four. Yeah. Mm. So COVID. as you kind of wait, so COVID has how much? COVID has how much? Three. 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 Okay. Three. So, average. Question. To so just slightly off, not off topic, but I say measles has fourteen, COVID has R. Does that R three. number, sorry, three, does that R number have vary from variant to variant within COVID? Yes, yes, yes. What, mm. what, 
so this is so this is the so this will this will nicely circle back to Leslie's question about spatial. But I'll just address one other thing before that. When you're asking about the biases, so what happened is people wanted to work mm -hmm. out this R number. They use a various set of techniques, but they got a, t uh, a number of different values. Some people thought it was six. Some people thought it mm. was two. And you know, so when they say six, people will get scared. If you don't actually see that reality, then people will say, well, the science is not working. Right. right. Mm. But that is not the case. The science was working. What was happening was that uh, every model had different biases, right? The person mm. who has six probably put put some because it was early in the pandemic. They probably used some parameters going back to that from another related. Mm. Uh, in this case, they probably used SARS, right? Because it was right. similar. Mm. And and <clears throat> the, um, what you would tend to do then is you would what you should do is you should have a, all these different models and try to sort of average and interpret across all of them to try and minimize your risk to any specific assumption. So. So in the in the beginning, this R number was a source of bias. Now I think it's it's resolved. But this was yeah. mm. the question. So coming back to Torian, who was asking, yes. Yeah, so the R. So when people have been talking about variants of concern, right? One mm. of the things about them is that they have an R number that's potentially double, uh, you know, mm. fifty percent to double, uh, you know, fifty to hundred percent higher. And the previous, you know, the, the sort of, you want to call mm. the original variant alpha or whatever. Yeah, the alpha. Mm. <clears throat> so, so yeah, so, yeah, so that was one of the key things that, so when, when someone says, like, oh, this variant is more infectious or more transmissible, they're often talking about the R number being higher in that variant. Than our previous variant and or original in the UK, variant. how that kind of manifested itself was that we were in lockdown and the curve was going down. And we were still in lockdown, and then it started to go up. And then I was like, well, what, what really going on here? And then they, they checked that intensive sequence in programs, and they said, well, actually, it's a new variant, and it's about twice as transmissible as before. So, mm, that is so what that caused was, that. That's very that interesting. So that's why it's, it's sometimes it's so difficult for governments and to, to react sometimes to these things, because they're not looking for these things initially. It's only after. Yeah. It's more reactive than proactive, so to speak. Else is that usually you won't see it because the data collection level on COVID has been unprecedented compared to previous epidemics. So, you know, mm. if, you, if you want to say, like, I think in the UK they were doing like thousands, they were sequencing thousands of people every week, potentially, right? If you mm. look back to like, say, five, ten years ago, um, you'll see that people had were trying to make inferences with something like five sequences, you know, five sequences versus thousands now. That's like the level of change. Mm. Right, right. Has that? But has then, that... sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Leslie, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so, just to see if I could understand this correctly, Chris. So, we've gotten to the point where we understand that the compartmental model is like the base on which you, you approach, um, you know, all, all this, uh, you know, move the evolution of the models itself. And you now talk about the reproduction number, um, which changes depending on, um, you know, the variance and this kind of thing. If it is we look at it from a temporal perspective, is it that all these models basically assume a sort of decay from um, to basically get to the end. So if you're predicting 
um, like a forecast model then? Are, are they like forecast models where they get they carry you to the point of where you reach either endemic equilibrium or disease-free equilibrium? How does how does that last part of the model sort of um, work out? Yeah, so so what happens is if you go back to the to the compartmental model, as you were saying, right? Remember, I said we had a bunch of cutters interacting with a bunch of Torians, and maybe Torian right. was in cutter and so on, right? Mm. But in reality, we only have a finite number of cutters and a finite number of Torians, right? So you mm. could only, you could only infect. Uh, you know, after, you know, it, you'll you'll just run out of people to infect. Basically, you'll run out of new cutters to infect. Right? Mm. <laughs> you hit this mm. kind of, so you hit this right. threshold where you just the epidemic has burnt out all its resources because it ran out of fuel. If you want to call it that, right? And some model, I don't know if to to try and make that clear. All it means is that if you you know when people. People talk a lot about herd immunity. This will feed in very nicely to that. You know, people talk a lot about herd immunity. Mm -hmm. What they're Mm -hmm. trying to say is that you vaccinated so many people that Mm -hmm. those people are now in the recovered class rather than in the susceptible class. So I took a a ton of cutters and I put them in the lessee box. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And have only a few cutters to infect. Right. So even right. if he right. does his very best and he worked really hard to infect everyone, he only infect about five people, say. Because that number right. is so mm-hmm. small now. And then if you, if you plot that out in the epidemic, then what you'll see is that infections will keep going up, going up until they run out of people and then they'll start to come back down. So that's right. kind of the... Yeah. So there's but, that whole, that's the whole flattening the curve that everybody was... That's the whole flattening the curve. But, but if you go back to your, your other point where you was asking like you know, spatial differences. Spatial differences mean that that model might not be true. So what we think that threshold is might not be true because what could happen is, as I said before, like actually Torian had to take a flight to infect Cutter, so it'll make it very unlikely for him to do so. So you wouldn't have right. to, to think about it in quite those terms. You might just instead have, you know, some small pools of people who could infect each other and they burn out their pools on their own. You know, rather, before, rather than expanding across yeah. the, the world, so you could have right. differences on those on those sort of thresholds. So that's a, a big area. Of yeah. debate at the moment. But but then right. So as as you talk about the bit, because normal, I mean, and I just comparing it to models like what we would use in engineering to model like wave wave forcing on uh, eroding coastlines and that kind of thing. One of the things that you do is always to validate and verify your model with existing data sets in order to calibrate the model to get it correct. But by getting it correct, it it, is, it still isn't true, especially when you forecast it, because there's a lot of different uh, parameters uh, that are involved. In a yeah. case like that, these model biases then tends to come in um, and there are a series of gaps then that 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 show themselves. Um, and I remember reading about uh, some stuff called the missing models. Um, could you just explain a little more about that in terms of how how that relates to to to, to the actual science of it? Yeah. So I guess what you what you're basically asking is what how realistic are models? Yes. 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 How realistic. Yes. And, and the, the question, the, the answer to that is, well, they have two answers. They have two ways to look at it. One mm. way is I will go and track, you know, every 
every Torian and every cutter, maybe with their move, mobile phone, learn their movements, mm. and try to to describe spread Plan, that way, right? almost like from the, the ground up, right? Right. And that may sound more accurate, and it might be more accurate in some situations, but it depends on the quality of data at such a you know fine scale, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, mm -hmm. and that will resolve into a very complicated model with lots of parameters and variables, which, as, mm -hmm. you, as you asked about, would be harder to validate. It's harder to validate something like that. This sort of right. simple compartmental case has fewer parameters, so it's easier to check on them, but then they don't have that level of complexity. So right. if you go to like your engineering models, uh, when you're saying is, you know, you have this thing like call that toy model, which just has the very basics. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, a toy model is the very basics, which you hope could give you a general insight. And then you have sort of like the more complicated thing where I decided to put every bit of knowledge I have, right? Mm -hmm. this, the deciding between the two will again boil down to data versus assumptions. In the small mm. model, we made some more assumptions, but our data is probably more robust to having those few things we want to check, right? You know, like our, say our numbers or whatever. In the big model mm. where we track in people's movements, we, we have more, we made less assumptions, but we might not have the data to really constrain those different right. parameters. So this is like, right. I don't know if that's, if that's, if I'll yeah. that so it's, so it's like, so it's almost like a race then, Chris, in that as time passes, your data sets get better and you're able to make less assumptions. So your, 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 your models get more realistic. However, you can't wait indefinitely because the earlier you get a model is the more you're able to intervene. So it's sort of a kind of trade-off then that, that, that sort of happens. Um, but then in a case like that, Chris, so let's say like uh, COVID, right? I mean, we're operating since 2019. Um, and, you know, I mean, researchers have been doing basically a, a Herculean task to be able to try and keep as the infections go in, you know what I mean? Updating these models and that kind of thing. Over right now, this um, in any end, uh, middle of 2021, what how 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 much data that that data set, which is like about a year and a half or so, how does that fuel into a model? Like like how is that a good data set then to to, to give a, a a realistic model, or is it usually better to like operate more on a three year or a five year model? So so um so actually both. So in some mm. sense. So for flu, for example, where we've had years and years of data, people have found that a recent study, well, not recent, I guess it was just before the pandemic, I showed that if you take those 10 years of data and you start to really carefully look at all the differences, calibrate your models, as you said to them, and then try to do forecasting, you get something much more, if you want to say risk averse, so less likely to produce incorrect predictions, right? Right. Now, COVID, we don't have that. You want to move, you know, that, that kind of back testing thing is not for real time. That is for like, right. we want to develop a, a system that maybe in the future we could benefit from. But, you know, we, we, we depended on a huge quantity of past data. For COVID, we didn't have much data on COVID when it came out. There is much more now. So what people do is they started their models with the early versions of the parameters. 
Then as more data came in, they updated those estimates to try and keep it sort of on the level. So for example, when the new variants started to dominate, they changed the mm -hmm. R number in the models, for example, right? Because mm. it would be characterized. So in that sense, so in that sense, the flu stuff is a good example of this long-term approach that could potentially lead better also long-term gains, right, in mm -hmm. the future. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, for this thing, as you said, where you want to be fast, you probably want mm -hmm. to start off with simpler models. And then as more data comes in, you keep updating them. Sort of like how you should actually, uh, that's how you should actually live life, like effectively. Right. <laughs> And as more data come in, update your opinion with time. Yeah, and change. Right. 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 You got to hope you update with the right things, you know? Right. Uh, exactly. Uh, uh, that's the key. So, I see what's going on as, there now. As you say that, Corinne, and now the situation with COVID is that in some of the, like, third world countries, um, mm. it basically had, uh, they had some you know, some issues with their data, there are more biases in their data. So fit in to their data actually then propagated the biases to the models. So how you mm. create the data, like, you know, it's not their, their fault, it's just lack of resources because surveillance is expensive. Right. So right. under reporting, for example, of say deaths, like I think they said in like mm. Syria, okay, Syria is not one of the worst off, right? But in Syria, I think it was like 10% of the COVID deaths were actually reported. You know, if you try to work mm. with that, you get a really strange view of what the epidemic mm -hmm. is. Of what the situation mm -hmm. is. Right. But as, as you mentioned that, I mean, uh, nothing is as good as, you know, talking about actual cases and, and you know, the actual application of, of these things. So going into actual uh, applications of these models, one in particular that seemed to... Um, Peak my interest was uh, one on the SARS virus, where it illustrated a long-range spatial distribution and uh, assessed like heterogeneous mixing and, and this sort of thing. I don't know if you could talk a bit about uh, uh, about your experiences with you know actual models and, and research that would have been doing that would have been done specifically on SARS that that sort of illustrates that sort of long-range spatial uh, sort, sort, sort of scenario. Well, so, so what's happened there is that, so when, if you go back to the analogy with, uh, you know, the compartmental models, and I was saying people could mix sort of, you know, cutters and taurians are just in two boxes mixing with each other at random. Mm -hmm. uh, since that is not realistic for SARS, mm -hmm. what happens is you have a lot of super spreading events, which is also true for COVID okay. as well. Which and that is what you, you mean by heterogeneous mixing to an extent. So what it means is that mm. you know, even though R might be two, right, on average, right. you know, one one Torian will infect two cutters, some Torians mm. might infect ten cutters. Right. You know? Right. 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 So it's a bit that, of mm -hmm. go on, go on. Yeah, so it's a bit of almost uh reverse engineering then that as the data as the data comes up, you're able to then build an equation or, or coding that then fits the behavior. So it's like as, as the empirical data comes up, it kind of it, it, it allows you to then determine, well, this is the reality. So then your, your mathematical model then needs to be able to fit this case, understanding the physical parameters around it. 
Yeah, so this is where like good good surveillance came in. So with SARS, uh, particularly, I think Hong Kong, uh, some of the other East Asian countries, they had very good, you know, first of all, they had populations that were very compliant uh, in terms of the measures they took, and they were very good at identifying cases. SARS also had the advantage that uh, the symptoms were a bit clearer. COVID has mm. the disadvantage that a lot of people may not have symptoms and still be spreading. Asymptomatic, right. Really, yeah. So, mm. so that made it easier to be able to track how the infection was actually happening, say, even on a small scale. And then you could sort of take the ideas from that and go into the model. And one of the ideas was this heterogeneity, as you're talking about, super spreading. Mm. And a good example of a real case where that happened was with SARS, they traced back one sort of cluster people just being in an elevator with one infected person so like eight people eight other people were in that elevator i don't mm. know he breathed mm -hmm. coughed whatever it was long enough yeah. that they, you got like this like spread like one to eight you know one person to right. eight other. so that's a good example of of that sort of sort of scenario if you, if you look at um use, using the genetic data you look at you try to trace back sort of the tree of how transmission occurs uh, with mm -hmm. COVID too, as well as you could, you'd also find these like these these heterogeneous clusters. So these clusters where a few people had like an outsized effect on on how mm. it's, like you know a few pop. It's exactly the same as being in Facebook. Like a few popular people on Facebook have a lot of connections. Have a lot of. They said something. Mm. That message will pass on very quickly. Ten times more. So those are the super spreaders in on Facebook is the same as the idea. And and a lot of the maths is the same too between the two. So Right. So then so then something something like that where these uh, information and, and parameters that would have emerged from these SARS studies. Um, I know you also spent some time researching um, the Ebola virus as well. What were some of the unique sort of circumstances surrounding that model and spread? Is it that it's actually spread faster with Ebola than COVID or, or was Ebola so, so if, just more deadly? So Ebola is more deadly. What's interesting about Ebola and what caused like a big fuss around the time so you might have heard the term exponential growth going along, going around a lot in COVID. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Which is described, all it describes in simple terms is a multiplicative process. So, you know, when they go mm. back to this R number, you know, one torrent infects two cutters who then infect, you know, four more to each, you know, other people or lessees or whatever. And you continue that process. And if you count the number of infections, it will look like something that goes, uh, you know, exponentially up as the exponential growth, right? And what many models would do is they would fit to that sort of curve and then project forward in time, right? And say something like we're going to have 2,000, I mean, sorry, 200,000 infections or something with some big number because that's exponential growth grows very rapidly. So you get these big numbers. Then that mm -hmm. didn't happen in reality. And people said, well, the models must be rubbish. It's not the case. Right. What happened was, you know, the models were correct according to their assumptions, but some of the assumptions weren't right. And in the case of Ebola, it had what they called sub-exponential growth, which was due to the spatial mm. pattern of how it was spread. So, however, it was specifically mm. spread spatially. It didn't have this exponential characteristic. It had a sort of more between linear and exponential. So they called okay. it exponential, and that changed 
how you would that change your predictions by a lot. So that mm. was an issue and a difference with 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 Ebola. And you know, there's there's a lot of you know modeling. You'll be you know we hear about certain diseases, but there's like a ton. You know things that we don't hear about. Uh, you know or things that you forget, like HIV, for example. Right. And yeah. Right. All of these things as well, but each disease has all these different characteristics. So you'd right. have to put them in your model. So COVID, you might have heard people talking about an incubation period of say about five yeah. days. Ago, right. 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 Yeah. The HIV 14, incubation period is years. So if you want to to, to make a right. Okay. Right. For for that. You know, Chris, so. I just wanna I just wanna touch on something. I'm not sure if, if we explained it, but I know okay. Leslie brought it brought it up in the inception of the show. Um when we say spatially, right? Yeah, when we say spatial, what 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 exactly can we define that as for, for anybody who's not sure what it means? Sure. So so we could have we could think about it like even just from top level down, right? So we might run our model mm. at a countrywide level. So we sum up all the infections across the whole country. And we try to make predictions about that. That might be right. inaccurate, but it'll probably give you like a good first guess, right? right. But if right. you can see data by regions, right, then you can mm -hmm. start working. So each region is a spatial grid or component, if okay. you want to call mm. that. So we, you would then run your model with some knowledge of, say, the different amounts of infections in each region, if you want to call it that. So, right. for example, you would find that cities would have clusters of a lot more infections than rural areas where people are further apart and also less populous, less dense. Right. right? So that is a spatial yeah. difference that you would miss if you just looked at the population as like the whole. So, so, say, yeah. so spatial acid with, with, with geographic and, and different regions and so on. Okay. Yeah. I hear you. But then, but then in a case like that then, Chris... Is it then that uh, because I I understood a lot of these models to be or uh, you know done off of like MATLAB and and and, and those sort those sort of softwares, um, but then from what Cotter is describing, there's then room for basically uh, building an actual computerized model of the physical. So if you do like a, a region wide, let's say of mm -hmm. London, right? then isn't there potential to then uh, marry uh, like these actual mathematical models with like an ArcGIS model of the city itself to say on a planar scale, well, this is how it's going to spread. And like as it spreads, because those ArcGIS models tells you like what is the material on the street, what height of buildings that you have. Um, whether it's rural, whether it's, it's rivers, whatnot, all of those parameters are built into this 3D model of this is your physical space. Um, can those models then be superimposed on that as, as another layer? Um, yeah, they could. But again, you'll hit this, this problem of complexity, uh, you know. If we start to look at, so you could look at, as, you, as you're basically asking, the individual level scale, right? You know, the movement. Right of an individual through, I don't know, a city to workplaces, right. this kind of stuff. And you could definitely do that. You don't need to necessarily impose it on these like engineering structures. You could, uh, people have been doing it using mobile phone tracking, for example. Right. 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 You could, right. You could, right. You could literally get an idea of how mobile a population is, how many contacts someone has on average. And you could get some good, and that's sort of like one of the new, 
sort of more modern techniques that has come out in the last few years where they've tried. Mm. It also has its own problem with different biases. So, for example, if you use the mobile phones, you'll more likely get knowledge of younger populations than older populations, uh, mm. which might, you know, bias. Let's see. You just mm. take it for granted. Everybody know all these technical things just come out with GIS and ways, you know? What's yeah, well, so- everybody know Arsenal, they win no champions. Tell fake who I say that. <laughs> geographic, geographic information system. But yeah, I don't so, know, so, so, so that is me, that is me just, trying to, yeah. yeah, that's me trying to merge um, the models that I am aware of in engineering so yeah. that if, we, if it is we're designing like bridges or roadways and whatnot, the easiest way to actually determine the existing space that you superimposing it on is to get existing GIS data sets on that specific area. So like if Chris is describing like how, so let's take London, for example, right? And we're talking about how COVID spreads and you develop a spatial model for that. It may say something like on First Street, you would basically have on day one, you know, the infection is going to go from this part to this part of First Street. And after 12 days, it'll cover the entire street. Um, Then it'll do the same thing on 84th Street. But remember, if you look at that on a spatial on, on, on from a planar standpoint, you're looking down from the top like a map, it will then change based on the physical parameters of those streets. And if it is some of those streets interrupted by a river, um, that will then have uh, other parameters if you have a lot of forests in that area. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you how relevant it is what Fiola is asking there is now. So there's an article that, 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 that we saw that actually is talking about the interaction between climate change models and uh, uh, these epidemiological epidemiological uh, models. And just as how you model, from what I understand it, just as how people model climate change in the future, taking all these physical parameters into account, so you're talking environmental factors, this same GIS concept sort of implies that. So that, that's where I was going with the question. Oh, okay. The next question was, how does these physical parameters, is it you as a modeler, Chris, manually going on a Google map and saying, well, it are trees there, so I put on a number three in my MATLAB model, or, to, or is there something whereby they could literally interact with these more physical parameter models like what is in climate change, climate change modeling? to make your job easier? So, so some people do do this. Uh, so I mm. think uh, you could get this data, for example, on aircraft movements, mm. right? so on, the, on all the right. um, flights right. that went out, when they went mm-hmm. out, so on. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. there is a group, uh, a sort of a subsection of modeling that they're more into like tracking the variance and so on. Right, the sequencing. Mm-hmm. And they would tend to, to to marry this sort of like the sequence data they collect with this flight data to try and determine, for example, if um, you know, if airflow in a certain region might have led to a lot more, you know, uh, infections being transmitted into that region from outside. Right. Kind of without, right. you know, potential rises in infections. So there is definitely that. So there is definitely uh, a link some there. interaction in those in those things on the climate mm. side i think that is the future of where this will well two things climate and behavior will be the future of where this will this stuff will mm. be will need to sort of um to go because 
when I was describing simple models where I was saying like, you know, Torian and Cutter just bounce mm-hmm. into each other, potentially mm-hmm. trans- mm-hmm. I never account for the fact that maybe Torian and Cutter hate each other and will never get close to each other, for example, right? Right. Like just right. Behavior, you right. Know, as, well, as simple, you know, as a, a, a pretend example, but Be you know, the general impact mm. of things, you know, also directly uh, influences your ability to control it because what could happen is, like with vaccines, you, you put out your best idea to try and get people vaccinated. They perceive it as the vaccine being more risk than the actual disease itself. They refuse to get it. And then now you have to account for this sort of feedback, you know, into, into your model. So mm-hmm. if you then take that and then add on top of that the fact that some things just become worse with climate change, short term or long term. So, for example, short term, say you have floods happening more often, you'll get these mm. like outbreaks either from people congregating together or from waterborne disease or whatever. So you have these other influences, you know, these climate-based influences, but perhaps the really most famous climate example is just the winter, summer sort of, you know, right. flu. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so the winter, summer flu is, is, it has a spatial component because they could track the flu coming in from Asia, spreading yes. outwards in a wave you know, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. they, could, they could link the summer and winter thing to either people being inside more often and to colder mm-hmm. temperatures mm-hmm. allowing viruses to, you know, remain like on surfaces for longer or, you know, to maintain a, a shell. So so the two, so that adding in climate is, is probably the big, you know, one of the big questions and where the field will probably go together. The reason I mentioned behavior is because often someone would like to you know people would often if you if you hear sometimes on news well i don't know how often they talk about it they talk about mathematical models on news they'll try mm-hmm. to liken a weather prediction right right so, you know, right 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 like a forecast model yeah i'm going to forecast the number of infections next week or the death toll next week will be this and you know that's kind of similar mm-hmm. and it is similar in that respect but it's not because um, you know, your behavior doesn't influence the weather. Like, you know, if you know it's going to rain and you say, oh, we're not going to turn up beach that day, that's not going to stop it from raining. Right. Funny enough. Yeah. Funny enough. I don't think that they ever do talk about it in terms of forecasting when we are given that kind of um, oh, okay. uh, for programming. I don't really hear anybody talking about we are expecting this number to like you know they always their main thing is trying to influence behavior by showing okay these figures right now this is what's happening right mm. now this ba- this is bad we have to take it down they don't ever say well if we go along this route we expect a thousand more that's my next they do ever tend to say those things for some reason um whatever that reason be because maybe you know i don't know and um yeah. and and a, a simple thing that i was thinking about like if anybody who might not be sure about the gis when they do show a map on the screen and they mm. do plot, you know, they always show the map and they show where in Kuva it had this outbreak and they show the red dots and thing. That in its simplest form is GIS. What do you say? Mm. So well, mm. let's, let's see that. Mm. So that mm. is that is a form of, of GIS, you know. Um, mm. but you know, speaking about all this and you know, linking it back to all you brought up about what do they talk about when um if they like in a weather report or whatever, you see that you know, and they talk about spatially different areas and the different data coming out of different areas and what is happening. Um Cultures would have to mm. play a part now in how the you know so like one hmm. an, an, an area that maybe 
the hub for the science, you know, um, mm -hmm. it may be fed and impacted by a culture which is very um, far removed from another place, which is also affected. And um, when we try to translate certain uh, things across, you know, there may be that um, where people might say, well, listen, mm -hmm. well, well, clearly this is making sense because of the fact mm -hmm. that they don't take into account that there are certain assumptions being made that probably, you know, don't relate. Carnival. Yeah, carnival. Looking at things like mm -hmm. testing, um, mm -hmm. like even governmental decisions. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even like even like um, policies that are being put in place. So whereas you can you can um, look at uh, the the level of of infection in one area, if they have a public now who is um, full of people who are infected but not tested, you are full. Um, if you have a public now which um, doesn't, they don't. What, tell me, Chris, of of like um, you know, like on a real basic level, what does the how, what role does the public play? What actions of the public besides getting infected and being a being a, a host? Right? <laughs> right? What 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 actions? Because we know that happening no matter what. That's what that's what it's all about. You know the infection yeah. spreading. But then certain assumptions can can be made, and then it mightn't really be that that happened in our culture. What is the uh, are the other steps or the other actions that the public would have to take? Generally speaking, that would be. Um, feeding into models, you know what, like you know, yeah, like what, so testing, what, what, what else, you know, like uh, being yeah, hospitalized, testing, uh, compliance, like mm -hmm. if you have a, mm -hmm. uh, if you tell people to quarantine, or <clears throat> like, you know, what mm -hmm. proportion of people are doing that, how many mm -hmm. are just leaking, leaking out of the system, if you want to put it that way. Right. So that's mm -hmm. a big deal. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the two most popular ones are things like mask wearing slash social distancing and vaccine mm -hmm. uptake. And the vaccine uptake mm -hmm. one is particularly famous now. Well, it's famous anyway, but it's particularly famous in other regimes, say measles, because countries like the UK and US didn't have measles for like oh, any kind of major outbreaks and measles for ages. And then like the swinger anti-vax kind of culture led to some clusters of that popping up, you know, popping mm. right again. So that's an example. I mean, it's a smaller example, but, you know, they have they have some behavioral things that you just really can't account for. Just to kind of like give you an example of how strange uh, epidemic could be. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a case in Spain, I think, with hepatitis C, where they had like 200 cases, right? They didn't know what was happening, and they, they used they used the data. It was the first time data was like this was used in a, in court to convict someone. Mm. So they used the data, mm. they traced it back to one man, right? This one mm. man was an anesthesiologist, I think, the person's administrator. Mm. What he was I, doing, he was working in a dental uh, surgery. Yeah, he was he was taking. I'll hit himself before he would uh, inject the patient. And he had, so he was just transmitting, you Body know, via the use of those needles so he could get a little high. What? Wait, wait, he was taking it. Wait, wait, explain again. He was taking a little up. He take a shot. Of what? Of what? Whatever he had to give people. Yeah, whatever drugs he was giving any people to kind of, you know, so this so. He was hitting up and then hitting them the syringe. Yeah. 
telling me so check your tools people check and your he tools caused, he caused 200 infections almost that damn. Crazy. Damn, 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 damn. that crazy no when they say no yeah. when they say just just clear up something when they say that um that he caused 200 inf- infections do we mean that how the results of his actions can be seen to have infected surely 200 people in terms of tracing it out or is it that his manual activity hit 200 people different um yeah, no, manual activity hit 200 people it was over like a space of 10 years you know before they caught oh, it oh, 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 oh. right 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 he right, right. Like, like unexpected cluster of you know so so that no model could yeah. ever give it that so yeah yeah yeah, no. yeah. yeah. But yeah. but but then but then Chris wouldn't wouldn't you then say that um because it it comes back to um the concept of where how do you measure how good a model is and we mentioned originally that it has to do with the model being realistic that uh, so a perfect model is one that gets the numbers right all right it gets the forecast right but as Cotter was mentioning you know you you modeling uh, you start to model behaviors um, so if I mention like carnival it it you know it, to me, how that will factor into our model is that you will see, well, it, it carnival could function as a sort of super spreader event where everybody congregating in this one place and going down certain streets. So you figure out wherever that track is at, and that will inform your model itself. But doesn't it have a limit to that? Like it, 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 you could put too much factors in it and, and your modeling will be that good. Because if you put, you know, the speed at which a man winding down to the ground, you know <laughs> what I mean? And you give a gyration factor... And all kind of thing. Well, then the model Yeah, that's right. The, the, the amount of deals on the road and this kind of thing, you know, it, it, yeah. <laughs> the, the model might become too complex, Najed. You understand? So it does yeah. it have like a sweet spot, you know? No, so that's, that point is exactly. So that was the point I was trying to bring up when I was asking about this, the geographical information systems and using mobile phone tracking and stuff. Is that mm-hmm. you could get some, you could get some headway, but will hit that point where you just have too many variables and you can't be, you know, these things, if you, you, you put them in, they could have hundreds of variables. It's very hard for you to, to cross check that and make sure that, you know, something didn't go wrong somewhere or like, it's not my assumption more than the data informing on this part of the model and so on. So that's like a huge problem. Yeah. And that's a huge problem also in artificial intelligence for the same reason. So these these two areas are very linked in that respect. Um, but if you if you go back to if you go back to the, the different types of models, um, when you're saying like well, you know with men gyrating in carnival and stuff, if you're trying mm. to model this spread of HIV or sexually transmitted infections, then knowing who is the the big boy might be a useful thing to put in your model because you get some type of structure, you know, like you know these right. guys. Uh, might be more promiscuous than others. You want to have them in your model for a sexually transmitted infection, not for COVID because it's less relevant there. So it's kind of like you have to pick the relevant points if you want to put it. Mm. Right. But right, as right. I say, it's always a question, and this is this is not just models. It's almost like most things that we use, whether you're doing like financial time series or stocks, or if you're doing, you know, engineering or any of these things, you have to make you have to make either an explicit or implicit trade-off between what you're willing to assume and what you think your data could tell you. 
you know, on, on you sort of have to mm. balance those two things. So like you can't go, if you want to go on it, like to the most basic level, you can't go and say, I want to model how a, a ball rolls down a hill and I want to add in relative relativity into that to help mm. me work on right. the correction of speed relative to that. Cause that's like a nonsense, you know, that's not a relevant point to that. Mm. Model. Do it. I didn't stop mm. you from doing it. It will be, uh, you know, theoretically more accurate. It won't actually be more right. useful in reality. So, so that's like of, so that's like if you if, if you're modeling a gyration and whether you gyrating anti-clockwise or clockwise, it ain't gonna really affect the spread. Yeah, well, you know, carnival have plenty complicated models on the road. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um so any major so let's take some questions from the from the viewers now. We have Rajiv Ramsroop here. Any major differences in parameters or variables? In modeling spread in a first world country versus a third world country, I think that's uh, something that definitely is there. As a, a tough one, there's differences in the data quality for mm -hmm. sure, mm. and that, that, that tends to feed back into the parameters. Uh, that tends to feed back into the parameters that you would fit. So that could account for some of the variable patterns, but mostly the variability might come down to. The broader point at Kata uh, and Lesian and uh, Torino making about different behaviors and different cultures, you know, having an influence. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, with Ebola, well, Ebola didn't really make it into the West, right? But if it had made it into the West, it wouldn't be modeled in quite the same way as how it was modeled in Africa, because in Africa, one of the ways it was spreading was that they had a certain funeral, a type of funeral ceremony where they would. <laughs> be in a lot of contact with the with the body or with the fluids from the mm. body. It was infection mm. from that. That was a from that, Yeah, I remember that. Infection. Yeah. From their the burial West, rituals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the West, they're like, well, no, nah, I'm not touching that. So they're safe from that respect. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, right, right, makes right. Sense. Mm. Makes sense. Now, next up, we have Nigel Das. What is causing the cases to decrease in the UK? Despite open and back, is it related to the, the percentage of people vaccinated, or is it due to less people being tested? Is it a combination of both? Oh, that's that's an open question at the moment. Some people right. even believe mm. that that's a false drop, and they're looking for like mm. more official. Because there's this other data source where they. Uh, so what what that is is like those are cases like confirmed by a testing or whatever, right? But there's also um, another study that goes into the population and tests randomly to also get asymptomatics, for example, you know, and other cases that wouldn't, because usually the cases that get tested are the cases that are more severe. You know, someone would think I had COVID or they know that they were in contact with someone with COVID, they'll get tested and they're registered. If you don't think that, we think, well, I'm all good. You wouldn't necessarily get tested. So there's some, a lot of debate about, about that. I think it, it at the moment, the consensus seemed to be a mixture of all three. So no good answers there, unfortunately. <laughs> Still up in the air, as many things are. Now we have Mr. Butch. I recently saw an article indicating that focusing vaccination on vulnerable first can lead to higher levels of vaccine escape, which seems counterintuitive. Why is this? And that's a very layered um statement Question. in my mind because 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 it, it contains a vaccine escape 
and mm. the and the vulnerable and it being counterintuitive. Or maybe Chris, you could take a stab at it better than me. I'll take I'll take a stab at at parts because some parts I don't think vaccine escape is is sort of very complex. So I'll leave that to immunologists to be able to really describe. Mm. But what I would say is what they believe about vaccine escape is that. If you hold a lot of infections in a country, no matter how you hold the number of infections, even if they're mild, if you have a lot of infections in a country with a lot of vaccinated people, you do offer the opportunity for the um, the virus to evolve such that it could escalate, mutate such that it might gain some advantages against the vaccine because you sort of select. Select for that means you kind of just call the weaker bits of the virus, you know, you sort of enhance. So that, mm. I don't know how good actually yeah, yeah. is that. That is how but a very, very, very good point, though, well, much. Very, very. Like, I really yeah, didn't but, think but, about it from that. Yeah, but let me yeah. let me touch on that, Kota, because apparently that's that's a question that's circulating now on CNN. And right. what it is they're saying is that uh, that argument of vaccinating the vulnerable first has to do with the query that's coming up now, which is the booster vaccines and whether they should focus on getting the boosters out there or vaccinating the, the, the main set of populations. And I can tell you out here in Micronesia, I am interested in getting the booster. The conversation is about getting the booster. Yet in Micronesia, we only have 50% vaccinated in terms of people getting their first shot. So right now, uh, Biden and they actually caught between a rock and a hard place in terms of do you take a policy decision to vaccinate the vulnerable first, which means that we don't talk anything about boosters yet because we haven't gotten their entire cities that you know may have their own behavioral, whether Republican, Democrat, whatnot, for, for, for not getting vaccinated. And let's get that vulnerable vaccinated first before we have the discussion of, um, of, of boosters um, to people already vaccinated. So it's almost like, you know... Um, uh, a perspective of of of, of vaccine vaccine luxury kind of way then you right. know um versus you know uh people who just need their full shot you know so it's and, a it's an interesting perspective that seemed to be playing out in right now and, and i yeah, don't see what's um, going to be the breakthrough with i want to say add one point to what leslie say is just that in terms of vaccine distribution in general beyond the whole part about equality which is another question mm -hmm. right even within a population, the sort of the question that always comes down is do you vaccinate the more vulnerable or the more likely the person who's more likely to spread? Because they may not be the same. You know? hmm. I mean, for COVID, the more vulnerable, the older people are mm -hmm. the same, mm -hmm. like you do by age, and the, the more likely to spread are the younger population. Yeah, yeah, well, right. It should have had these assessors and the wild men. <laughs> 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 The jungle men, right? Um, Bawaz Khan asks, do models take into account any anomalies to the virus or help identify any? So if there, is there anything with models that that they would have to pay attention to any anomalies or do these anomalies occur on a wide enough range to be taken into consideration or something like that? So, so some of them, uh, so a point we didn't really talk about was like what are they like you know when you have a forecast from a model how do you interpret it so usually mm. when they give you a forecast they don't give you uh you know some people in the you know news might quote a single number but usually they give you a range particularly sometimes a big range right it's kind of like the tolerance 
you know, like if you if you if you were to like say buy, you know, if you were to buy eggs from the grocery and you measure the size of all the eggs you get, you know, and you keep a track of that, you'll find this sort of natural this variation, right? So you if you wanted to tell somebody what's the size of an egg, you'll give them an average mm. plus some degree right. of uncertainty, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of these forecasts they have these big uncertainty, uh, large uncertainties. So for example, it could be someone might say. I think in the UK, they're saying we could have between 50,000 and 100,000 new infections next week, say, right? That's a big range. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm, that, is, that is reflective of things we don't know about the, right. uh, the epidemic. Right. And some of the yeah. anomalies will be covered by that. Some of them right. will, will actually become apparent by not being covered by that, which was the case with the variants, because... Uh, the the current models just weren't fitting, you know what was happening with the. In fact, the best example of that uh, we forgot to touch on is like um, Manaus in Brazil, where right. they had a model where they had so many deaths, right, that they were pretty sure that they most of their population was, you know, immune or that hit like a sort of natural herd mm-hmm. immunity, and then all of right. a sudden, I think in January February this year they had a next huge wave and. This didn't fit any of the models because if you go back, I don't remember earlier on you were asking about if models is predict the infections coming down, right? Mm. Those models have reached that point for this for Manaus right. in Brazil, which is near mm. the Amazon region. And then what happened is they did that that anomaly in terms of the, what was going on versus what the model was suggesting, then prompted people to to sort of to go in, do a lot more sequencing of what was going on. And that's something, again, because I said, like, resources-wise, like, doing a lot of sequencing tends to be more like a first-world thing. But they, they got a lot of sequencing, and they found, well, there was a new variant there as well that potentially might have been reinfecting quite a few people, too. Right. So, so that's a good Right, example. right. Well, we are approaching that hour and a half, or we have approached and passed the hour and a half mark. So that unfortunately brings yeah, us Chris had a to that, bed. Yeah, that <laughs> we really want to thank you, Chris, for making this time. Yeah. We know yes, it's eight o'clock here, but it's not eight o'clock by you. You know, it's it's way past certain people's bedtime, you know, because as yeah. you all would have would have known by now, Chris is in England. And um it was a very enlightening talk. Um I think what comes out of this and that people should take from it, and if anybody is looking right now. You know, we have to understand the amount of work that has gone into the science behind the study of the epidemic, right? It is by no means um, 100% perfect in predicting everything as we talked about with the assumptions, cultures, behaviors, anomalies as powers brought up. And then my good friend Boo just say, if we're able to predict human behavior through data analysis to identify patterns, then does that mean that we that predictable as human beings and it's, it, it and it makes you wonder and it, it 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 does show that yes yes and no because that's why that's why there is that that area there where we're not sure because after all we are dealing with dynamic complex human beings everywhere all over the world but at the end of the day we are to a certain degree all part of the statistics so yeah. you know people say i am not a statistic but you are a statistic at the you end of the day statistic. as well because that is how everything has been has progressed. When you look at it from the mathematical side of things, I think Leslie had to leave us at a at a the mafia. The mafia. Yeah, the mafia was calling. I want to <laughs> thank. I want to thank everyone. So, so you know, 
as I said just now, it's still we still have a, a long way to go. And Chris would agree, Chris, that we there's still so much that can be done and made better when it comes to the models, right? And it really comes down to how the entire society and the scientific community can work towards this goal. Um, so thank you all for your comments, for your questions. Those of you who are on YouTube, you all had a nice show today. We had our brethren come in and he unleashed a lot of wonderful statements. I really appreciate it. Where whoever he is, wherever he is, yeah. you all big hey. up on yourself. <laughs> it was it was yeah, grand. Compartmental models, cutter. Yeah, I think you know uh, uh, that guy. Uh, we have to find that guy and bring him on the show. We gotta, we gotta bring seems, him on the show. He, see, he seems to know a lot that needs to be discussed. <laughs> That's super All right. spreader. That's super spreader. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but that's uh, super spreader. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're on my way. To also, we'll get to that next time. We'll get to that right? next time. All right, brothers. Take All it right. easy, Chris. Take Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, that's big up. All right, yeah, that's Bless up. Right, man. Bless up. Later. Later.